Welcome to episode four of the Ammo Hour podcast. Today's guest is Dave Patterson of the band Patterson. Uh, sadly, on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. Uh, I caught up with Dave; he's a good friend of mine, talking about old tour stories and all the usual stuff when we have a musician on. Um, but also his work as a teacher, and uh, including studies into how social media um, is affecting the mental health of young people. We also talked about obviously the alarming pandemic um, of kind of suicides, unfortunately, and, you know, the, why that's at the moment disproportionately uh, seems to be males. And he gave a bit of insight into his beliefs to why that is. Um, also spoke about less morose subjects as well in terms of just the difference in acceptable uh, kind of norms and language that used to be the case for the older generation and, and obviously quite rightly why that's changing now. Um, but the kind of guilt that we can feel when we look back to not challenging those things back then, um, which obviously shouldn't be a guilt. It should be something that we take note of and ensure that we um, you know, act accordingly in future with the knowledge that we do have now, but just that we are growing up in a time where ignorances are shifting, and I think that's really important and something when a lot of fingers get pointed to the wrongs of today's society, I think that's certainly something that uh, is, is going well for us. So yeah, a range of interesting topics. He's a super, super uh, lovely guy, well known throughout the music industry. A bit of uh, Scotland's Dave Grohl about him, just the nicest guy. Um, so yeah, great to catch up with him. Thanks so much for everyone that's been sending your feedback in. Um, it's been good to hear, positive and constructive. I uh, did have one person say that an hour's a bit long, so would I mind just halfing it, but unfortunately uh, the ammo half hour uh, doesn't quite have the same ring to it, so maybe just pause it, mate, and split into two. Um, but yeah, um, I really ap- appreciate uh, guys taking the time to, to send that in. Um, as always, you can catch the podcast on all the kind of major platforms, um, and you can watch it on YouTube. The easiest way to get the links to that, if you're you're not sure, is just to check out the Instagram page. That's just at the Ammo Hour, and there's a wee link tree in there, and you can just watch or listen um, on all the platforms there. Also, the link to our merch store is there. So if you want a piece of merch there, there's hoodies, sweaters, t-shirts, and it's not got podcast written all over it. It's uh, the Ammo Collective, which is also the record label uh, business that runs alongside this. Um, so the Ammo Collective um, merch store is linked there as well. If you're just listening to this and you want to check it on your phone, it's theammocollective.bigcartel.com and you can get 20% off just by listening to the podcast as a wee thanks from us. So at checkout, just hit the Ammo Hour uh, into there and you'll get that. So please, uh, if you haven't already, like, uh, share this and subscribe. The more we get, I can get things like a custom profile uh, for the YouTube, um, a custom URL, sorry, which makes it a lot easier for people to find. Um, it'll uh, go higher up in the search results, things like that. So it's a really small thing, um, but if you are enjoying the podcast, just hit subscribe. Um, I hope you're all doing really good. Uh, who knows when this lockdown bullshit's going to end, 
But uh, yeah, I, I just hope you're uh, sticking in there. We're certainly um, getting to that period where it's getting really, really hard for everybody. But that just means, you know, we're closer to the end. If you look how far this has all come, and I'm pretty, pretty confident that, you know, as we move on with our lives, when this does finally lift, we're all just going to look back at this and think, what a fucking mad time. You know, even the best times in your lives, you look back sometimes and you think, fuck, I can't even really remember that. This is going to be like that. Uh, you know, I don't need to promise you. That's just human nature. So we just got to graft a little bit. And then when we get back to normality, you know, everything that we enjoyed before and things we took for granted, seeing friends, seeing family, it's just going to be that bit sweeter. So yeah, stick in there. Um, and thanks so much for supporting this and listening to the conversations we're having. So without further ado, this is episode four of the Ammo Hour with Dave Patterson. Here we go, from uh, the best-looking man in Scottish music <laughs> to now the best-looking man in the Scottish school system, David Patterson. <laughs> I, want that introduction. I, want, I want that introduction everywhere I go. No problem, mate, I'll record it. Yeah. How's things? I know we were just speaking there off air, let's you know, not lie about it. But yeah. <laughs> uh, not bad, like uh, a bit weird to think the same as everybody lockdown isn't the best but in fact it is, it is what it is everybody's in the same boat and trying to work from home got a three-year-old running about the house who really doesn't get the concept of me working from home she really doesn't understand that she's just like this is amazing my dad's in the house like I'm gonna jump on his head while he's trying to teach a class and stuff like that so aye. <laughs> and a new puppy as well man uh, she's a uh, four four months old today so a combination of uh a new Springer Spaniel puppy that needs like at least an hour's exercise every day. I'm t- I'm terrified, by the way, for like Nicola Sturgeon coming on telling us that there's like exercise restrictions because like not for me, uh, but for the dog. So uh, <laughs> Nicola Hen, you'll need to come around and walk my dog then. <laughs> what are you doing for the birthday? You got some friends coming around, be lucky bags and that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. man. Um, so yeah, I, I guess um, we know each other through. It was quite a funny one, wasn't it? Like um, my band at the time was looking for extras to like recreate a gig, and then you came up and showed up the whole band. This fucking six foot four fucking Viking. I was like, nah, not him. Get him out. <laughs> I, I know. The, I think one. Um, I, I can't remember who. What was it, Connor? So that was filming for you. Uh, no, this one was actually Particular Films, so it was someone that uh, our manager at the time, Andrew Dice, knew, uh, Joseph McLean, so they're really cool, like a wee indie film company. Yeah. We were getting told to move slightly towards, like, I was, uh, I think I was maybe like two or three rows back for the, it was a Glasgow Stranger video, wasn't it? Right, yeah. And uh, I got moved over towards the side of the stage, because like, I think if I'd stayed where I was standing, you wouldn't have seen like Big Rob or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a travesty. You can't have that. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. The female fans of the band, like uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the back of my head. <laughs> well, I treat you and Rob in the same video for a uh, female uh, or male lovers of bearded yeah. men. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. I think that was um, you know most people you meet in those circumstances. Like it would have just been like a wee fleeting. Like hello. Like obviously you guys hung out. Uh, everyone hung out. We bought in some tinnies, I think. And yeah, yeah. Obviously everyone was just chatting to everyone, but like we just became real good friends after that. And obviously found out that you and your brother Craig were um, kind of active. I don't know if you were how far along you were in at that point, or if you were just starting it. But yeah. you you told me about Parasania at that time. I think. 
Uh, I think we weren't that long into it. We hadn't been doing it for too long. Basically, I um, yeah, when I when I saw that you were, because I, I liked I liked your band. I was a fan of the band, and then when I saw that you were looking for for people for the video. Um, I I don't know. I must have been maybe a holiday or something. But I was off work anyway, and I, it was in the thirteenth note, wasn't it? Yeah, Sorry. man. And uh, I, I lived in Brighton, so it was like 10 minutes down the road, and I was just like, that, something to do. A wee bit different on a Tuesday afternoon or whatever it was. And like you said, um, I think you guys got some some tins in, so it's <laughs> just like, go and get a few drinks on a Tuesday afternoon in, a, in the 13th note, as you do, being a music video. Win-win. Uh, yeah. I remember I saw you guys unloading the van outside, though, and I like I didn't know you. I did like any of you guys at this point. I was like, oh, I'll be I'll be helpful. And I came over and I was like, oh, do you want a hand with the stuff? And you're like, mate, we need to get footage of us taking the stuff in for the video. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Would have been good though, eh? <laughs> a roadie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously from then we just kind of uh, really loved what your band was about as well, and kind of played quite a few shows over the years together, didn't we? I think, um, yeah, I think of all the bands that we played with, we played with you guys the most, I think. Because mm-hmm. there was uh, quite a few, like when we did the show for New Year's Revolution, I know you were the you were the guest DJ. At, uh, uh, that's at, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forgot that, eh? Imagine then, that, eh? Calling a DJ, just literally sitting on Spotify, <laughs> shuffle, yeah, like, this is Spotify, great. You know, get a case, of, a case of tenants or whatever it was uh, DF gave you for, for doing it. Probably but, the standard, uh, the standard seven Carlsberg between five, mate. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then we did the show up in Perth with you, your homecoming show at the green room. So that was a good one. That was a good that night. Was a good one, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. And then Shet Fest, which I just still get shivers talking about. But... <laughs> <clears throat> we were, we were both on a podcast with, separately with Stevie, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Talking about Shet Fest. For yeah. anyone that's uh, never heard this, heard of our bands or anything like, you know, we played this festival in Shetland Isles and I think every member of every band just assumed it was going to be like a two hour boat ride and it was like 14 hours through like the biggest waves, like things chained yeah. down and that. Uh, it was when the, like, when the captain came over the speaker on the way back and he was like, obviously it had to be the way back. It couldn't have been the way there when we were all like having some beers and we'd have found it funny. It was the way back when everybody was just burst after like three nights in Shetland. And then I, the captain came on, he's like, ah, we're, we're looking at some 30 foot waves. I was just like, 30, that's the size of a house. <laughs> the canteen's closed and there are staff coming around to hand out sick bags. I was, oh man, that was a rough, a rough journey back. It was wild, man. Really bad. Uh, like you said, on the way there, the bar was open. We were just playing like like beer pong, but with like a tinfoil thing from someone's sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> Scalping pints and stuff. But the way, you know, obviously quickly we got smashed, so just forgot about it. But the way back like was, I mean, what was it? Was it one weekend or was it like one day we were there or something? Um, it was the weekend. I think we went up on the Friday. And then we came home on the Sunday, Monday, maybe. Was that right? Yeah. I don't know. It seems like a whirlwind. I think we were only there for one night, man. I think we were, yeah. I think we were on the boat for two nights. Yeah, that's right. For one night. So it turned out to like, uh, it was like Friday night boat, Saturday night Shetland, Sunday night boat again. Because it's like, obviously, like you said, it's like 14 hours or something. It's like overnight. Yeah. Aye, so I think it was like a three or four day trip where we actually only spent one night in Shetland. <laughs> that was, <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, 
They've got, like, the high, highest-rated TripAdvisor um, hostel, and, like, you know, I couldn't tell you if it was nice or not. Just lay down and go up. <laughs> yeah, it but was no, bad, man. Uh, where, where does that rank? I mean, you must have had some uh, some debaucherous tales that, uh, you know, maybe are best left unsaid. I don't know. But what's uh, what, what's kind That's of some of your best memories of Patrasani? Um, yeah, Shetland is up there. That was really like pushed the limits of what the human body could take uh um we went down to england a couple of times and those were I'd like it's bizarre because like you always think like the kind of home shows like near to glasgow and stuff but for some reason we always got quite excited by a wee away day a wee trip oh, yeah. was all oh, like yeah. yeah we always quite liked a wee away day we went down to liverpool um to play at the cavern club and that was like just utter chaos um nice, just from start to start to finish i arrived at the train station at like six in the morning uh at glasgow central and colin r had like made um like pre-made like rum and cokes for everybody and like the big pepsi bottles so we just like got on the train i think he was expecting that we would start drinking them a wee bit into the journey maybe and then like six in the morning we just opened them up and started drinking like on the way down so by the time we arrived at liverpool by the time we rolled into liverpool we were well, we were rolling into Liverpool, so <laughs> aye, that was just that set the tone for that full weekend, uh, which is rough. But it's it crazy, fun. man. It's crazy. We were talking uh, again on the on these podcasts we did, and uh, was that like maybe one of your first trips down south? Uh, yeah, I think we'd only been down south twice before that, maybe. Um, so, yeah, so it was still kind of early on in the in the foreign travel. Um, so yeah, it was still like that getting really excited for it like oh this is a really big deal we're going down That's to another stuff. so uh, it was uh you just you do you get a wee bit of adrenaline a wee bit too excited <laughs> we were saying the exact same thing man we got like our first trip down south and um we rolled into leeds and it was like you know we set off super early you know we're on tour like this is it we've made it <laughs> you know and uh we got there about I don't know lunchtime. It's like we don't need to be there till eight p.m. So right, we'll just go to Spoons then. You know, we'll keep it casual. You know, rolling it in sound check like an absolute bag of shit. You know, next day, you know, you've been screaming and stuff, and you're like, I can't, I can't sing tonight. Like last night was a stretch. You quickly <laughs> realise like you know you've got a can this. You can have some beers before and after the show, but you can't be drinking all day. This is the Motley Crew. <laughs> Yeah, that's exact. That is that is exactly what it was like. We got down kind of lunchtime on the Saturday, um, and we were doing two shows while we were down there. So one of them was on this Saturday, kind of mid afternoon on the Saturday at the Cavern Pub. But the big show was the next night. Like the actual, the reason we were down was to play at the Cavern Club. Like proper Beatles vibes. Like all of us were really excited, and that was on the Sunday night. But in typical band fashion, after the show on the Saturday afternoon. We all got way too excited, went out, got hammered, stayed out till like five in the morning, woke up the next day needing a ventilator. And then uh, by the time the show rolled, like like you said, went into sound check at like six at night or something, dying. And by the time the show was actually on <laughs> at like eight, I think me, Cray, I think me and, no, me and Colin were back on the pints and Scott wasn't too bad. And he, he never really kind of drank as heavily. And Craig was just like, didn't even want to get back on the pints. He was just like, this like handsome young Jared Leto singer. And he was just like standing there like this pale, scared, <laughs> shaking guy. Like, why have, they brought, why have they brought these guys down from Glasgow? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, man. Oh, man, you quickly, I mean, 
it's quite hard, I think, to separate what you've learned from like real life and what you've learned from like you know decades, like since you're a teenager of being in a band, and like the amount of people that are close friends to me, and you know for whatever reason it's the first time you've spent the next day really hung over with them, and they're still like not sure about the hair of the dog myth, and I'm like, oh no, it works hundred percent. It's the only way you can get through touring. You know, it's like most people like Civvy Street, like if you like you don't need to do that because you can just lie in your bed. When you've got to get up for another four-hour drive or you're staying with random people and you can't just lie in your bed, there's only one way to get through that. It's, uh, and like you said, like even even guys that you've done it, you've, you've done it 500 times, you've played, and like so many gigs, you've lost count of them. You Like, if you're completely burst, like if you're really, really hungover, nobody wants to get up in front of a couple of hundred people really hungover. Like yeah. no one wants, like the only, like you said, the only way to get through it is to have a couple of settlers and like re- press the reset button. And uh, I, but the, yeah, yeah, the hair of the dog myth is, it's not a myth, it's true. It does work, unfortunately. Oh, 100%, 100% man. And that uh, can obviously spiral into you just drinking all the time. But yeah, it's kind of part of the territory, isn't it? So, um, do you obviously what? I guess obviously knowing if people weren't aware, you and uh, your brother Craig, your brothers in the band Patterson,y your surname's Patterson. So, obviously there was never any big huge fallout for why you guys quit the band. But was it just a term of like life, like you it just wasn't going to be your priorities anymore? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like we, we loved we, we loved doing it and any time, to be fair, it's been a while now because of all the lockdown stuff, but I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll happen again when we're all able to get together for beers and stuff. But anytime we, we see each other now, we, we always go like, Oh, should we start another project or like we like 'cause we do miss it. Mm-hmm. We definitely miss the songwriting, the being up on stage, the performing stuff, but I think it was just every year it was getting harder to do it. Um, like it was getting hard maybe maybe not hard to get excited about it but it was getting harder like you said like it wasn't the priority anymore like um, I uh, me and Lindsay had Eden in 2017 um, so obviously that took up huge amounts of my time having a kid and then you, you don't want to be like missing every weekend and like every summer you're away with the band like and always uh, like obviously a lot of the time Lindsay couldn't come because somebody would need to be there to look after Eden and things so like it just starts getting well for me anyway it just started getting in the way a bit of more my family life Um, not so much my job or anything like I was always able to kind of work it around my job because I had the summers off so that wasn't too bad but yeah having a kid was a big one for me I'm sure it is for a lot of guys to be fair that like I don't know if that was similar to what you guys experienced in Wolves, like with people having kids and families and things. And uh, it's hard to to try and like make that work. Um, I think it'd be easier now that she's a wee bit older again, now that Eden's like, she'll mm-hmm. be four at the end of this year. That's terrifying. So but she'll then, be born. Yeah, right? then I get, I get what you're saying. It's that weird catch 22, isn't it? Because you couldn't have left the boys in the lurch. Not that it would be like, the, the, there's not really good language for it because no one would ever judge you for doing it. So it's not leaving them the lurch, but you can't leave them on pause until you get to the point where it is cool for you to do it. And then you can't abandon your family to be with a band, you know? It was exactly the same with, 
with Eggy, our first guitarist. Yeah, that, friend, that's actually, that's, that's who I was <clears throat> Yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of when I was saying to you about the Wolves lineup. Like, uh, I know seeing Eggy at the at your wedding, your next wedding. Um, obviously, he was with his family, and like, uh, it's hard. It is. It's, I, I, actually, when I met Eggy on your stag do, I didn't realise that he had been in Wolves at any point. When I first met yeah. you, it was the twins. Uh, so I, I didn't realise, but they, I completely get why he wasn't able to continue on and stuff because it, it does like it, I suppose it's not necessarily about how much of your time it takes up it's like how much of your time you want to put into it because you could obviously hear about loads of people that they wouldn't like they wouldn't be fast if they were going away with the band every weekend but I didn't want to leave my like I didn't want to go to work all week and then <clears throat> and then go away with the band all weekend and my daughter is just like who's this guy <laughs> Also, man, it's it's hard enough, um, you know, when you don't have a daughter and stuff like that. Like, you know, I've, I've been with Nick, um, it'll be coming up 11 years. Um, or was it 11? Yeah, 11 years just there. And, uh, you know, from the start, I've been doing music. And, uh, you know, it takes somebody that, you know, yeah. I, I used to reference it in some of my lyrics and stuff. You know, it's guys and girls, rightly or wrongly, it's kind of brought up on this image that you know the guy will just spend every weekend getting dressed up and going out and taking to dinner and date nights and this and that and I think that's quite a, a unhealthy and unrealistic like picture of what Disney Disney men should be in that as well but it also on the other side of that it is pretty shit for a lassie when you spent all your time doing that but it's part of you it's your passion and if they love you for that you can't not do it but when kids come along obviously it's a no-brainer you change it I think like from I don't know from from what I've seen the the relationships that tend to work best is the the girl or guy knows um kind of like that sounds really bad but almost knows what they're getting into like with you and like with you and Nick when you met you were like obviously music like you said was your passion she kind of knew that was like part of the the deal sort of thing and obviously when me and Lindsay met Lindsay was playing in a band she kind of knew what the band lifestyle was about part of why we got on so well is because I was in the band and like we had that in common so then you it would be quite difficult if if someone then said oh well you know that thing that we kind of bonded over we're not going to bond over that anymore we're going to take it away I was really lucky that Lindsay was always really supportive of it she never really was too fussed about me doing gigs and like disappearing but it was more just for me I didn't want to be a a missing dad. <laughs> nah, like, have for you sure, seen, man. Have you, have you seen this man? Um, no, and, and and Nick, to be honest as well. Um, although she's not doesn't play instruments like herself, you know, she grew up listening to all the same kind of stuff, and you know, was a fan of what we were doing, not just a cheerleading fan, like literally. Because yeah. do, do not get me wrong, she's she's the biggest critic as well. If I let her hear a demo, and she's like, "My, it's really good," and you're like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I know what that means," you know, so. <laughs> Yeah. I've been to so many of your shows where Nick's been there, like working the merch and stuff. And like the, I remember the one at Buff Club, the Halloween one at Buff Club for some reason, when everybody was dressed up. That was just a class gig. Like I, was, aye, I think aye. I was just having a great night, to be honest. But, Definitely, uh, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, when, when we stopped doing the band, I talked to my brother mostly. I mean, I'm sure Colin and Scott to an extent, but I talked to Craig more. Um, about whether or not he wanted to keep the band going and if he did want to keep the band going I, I was obviously going I would be delighted for him uh, and I said to him like if you want to try and find another guitarist I'll 
I'll train them up. I'll teach them all my parts. I'll come to practices. I'll get them set. Um, but Craig was just saying, like, he just didn't fancy it because a big part of what we were doing was, I think, because when we started the band, it was a three-piece. It wasn't a four-piece. So when we started out the band, it was me, Craig, and the original drummer was Danny Harris. So Danny was obviously sitting behind his is we drum kit and uh, but when you were watching the band you effectively saw me and Craig the, like the two brothers looked quite similar to each other I think it was a big part of what we were doing so um, aside from the fact that Craig and me are best pals so when I said about do you want to train up someday else and keep it going he was just like nah if you're calling it a day I think that it's time for me to call it a day as well like it just wouldn't he, he basically was saying it wouldn't really be the same without you involved in it which is really nice of him Um I guess I don't know if that's like symbiotic, <laughs> but yeah, we... yeah. I can I can imagine, man, because we obviously, <clears throat> um, how many times we changed lineups and stuff, and it was always blessed to have. Well, it wasn't just luck because we we didn't just land on the first person that wanted to join, you know. Um, so it was always good people joining the band. Um, but every time like someone you've known longer leaves, there is a wee PC. It's like this is less natural and more businessy. Um, yeah. and I think funnily enough. Um, you know, when when Harris, when Eggy and Chick had to leave, it was for kind of reasons that were nobody could have any issues with. Eggy for family, Chick, you know, he'd been in projects for years and was putting them on side to help us, and he needed to do his thing. PMX have gone quite rightly from strength to strength, so that was total amicable. And then we had the White Brothers in, and they left because they were young guys and they'd given it a few years, but still they couldn't put off stuff that were formative years and that made sense as well and then we got people in um who were great guys but they always did feel like they were just kind of stop gaps to themselves as well they had their own projects and that now we've got Callum and Andy in and like it feels like weird because it, it feels like three different bands but they're the most natural you know Eggie's yeah. my best friend Eggie and Chick are like my best longest friends along with Rob and stuff um, and the White Brothers were you know pivotal to everything we achieved but me, Rob, Callum, and Andy, we spoke about this, and I'll be honest with everyone. When it's, it feels like the most natural wolves fit in terms of style, and we're all seeing yeah. like similar guys. And we've already said, you know, when they can't do it anymore, like we won't be changing up again. It's too much. It, doesn't, it wouldn't feel real anymore. We're not doing this for business anymore. We're all mid 30s. It's passion, yeah. you know? Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's it. You do it because you, you love doing it. Like it. You know, it's funny, um, me and Craig laugh about it again. It's like after a couple of beers, you you guys are probably the same. After a few beers, you talk about like what could have been or like um, we, we spend quite a lot of time talking about bands that we've played with, like we've either supported or they've supported us and where they are now. And yeah, you do kind of go like um, from our like from our point of view, if it was going to happen, it would have happened like some of the guys, like playing with Jerry back in the early days before the madness surrounding Jerry happened, uh, like playing with him a couple of times and um, playing with wee Capaldi, like playing with wee Lewis Capaldi when he was just like a wee guy, like a wee 17-year-old guy. And now he's, I think, one of the best-selling artists in the world at this point, which is mental. Uh, and even the snuts obviously, as well. Like, though, obviously, just to put in, he had something used in the have, though. It was the looks, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was it. I shaved my beard off. I shaved my beard <laughs> off back in August, um, just before I went back to work. When we had that like crazy weather, it was like just I was too hot all the time. It's like having a beanie on your face, and uh, so I shaved my beard completely clean shaved. First time I'd done it since my early twenties, and um, Craig went, uh, 
oh yeah no ah, it's all right like you look a bit like you could be related to Lewis Capaldi as that the beard's <laughs> going back <mate. laughs> super talented guy funny as fuck yeah. I've never met him but uh, I like you know I'd rather look like you is what I'm trying to say <laughs> no, I'm, I don't even have a long beard ever right but it gives me the absolute fear that one day I just I've done it before I take it too short and I need to take it all off I don't think I've been clean shaven since I was 30 honestly I, I completely like properly like shaved it down razor like proper oh, clean shave and I didn't know if I looked like a really old young guy or a really young <laughs> old guy <laughs> it, was like, it was really creepy man it was like you'd oh, that's taken, amazing no it was like you'd taken this like big adult guy and then put this kind of weird teenage face on it it was very creepy i did not like it, it so used to be there, there's definitely like a swinging point isn't there on a graph like i'm not going to subscribe to this so i'm just turned 34 in november i'm not going to subscribe to like year old like you just need to keep on top of your health and your you know, yeah. this and like whatever, right? But there's definitely a point. There used to be a point where, you know, if I felt a bit rough for that, I would just clean shave. It wasn't my usual look, but if I felt rough, I would clean shave and you'd see my cheekbones and my jawbone. I go, ah, oh, yeah, you look fresh, man. Like, you look good. And there was one day where I did that and just went, oh my God, <laughs> you know, what is that under there? Yeah, and what are wrinkles? And you just look like some creepy bastard. That's that's exactly what it was. Like there's there's like a there's like a middle phase that people don't talk about. So you've got like the under twenty five stage where you've got like the cut jawline, like you just you you don't need to do anything and you've got abs yeah. and you're just like and, and then you kind of get to the twenty five to thirty five bit where you're not like an old distinguished guy and you're not like a young fresh faced guy. You're just kind of like if you shave your beard off, it's kind of like the in between stages of Benjamin Button, <laughs> like. like <laughs> Just when Brad Pitt starts turning into the old guy. Yeah, <laughs> but he's just like a bit doughy. <laughs> oh, a bit, yeah, you know, you've got court in the morning or something, eh? It, uh, it looks a bit, a bit uncomfortable for everyone involved. So needless to say, the beard's kind of grown for quite a while since then. So. Um, I was actually making a wee playlist about a week ago, man. Like before I'd asked you to be on this um, and... Uh, I just was having one of those nostalgia nights. I don't know if you sometimes have them. Like sometimes I just need to play tunes from the past, um, or be in the right headspace after a glass of wine or that. And I'm like, right, I need to listen to old songs because it's like the absolute time machine takes you right back to where you were. And it could be so many different styles and stuff. But um, <clears throat> I made a wee Spotify uh, playlist um, about bands we've played with or toured with, or are just really good friends. Um, and I was listening through your album again, man. And, you know, I could say this about loads of bands. It's like you say, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Um, could you have done more? Like, who knows? You also need to bankroll a lot. I think we are both in the same position. We were never really willing to do that. It was like, if it happens, it happens. But that album, man, honestly, like, I think there's, you know, the whole thing's really good. But I think there's probably four singles there that, you know, would not have sounded out of place. Like, you had that really good sound where... Um, uh, and I don't say this derogatory, I love good pop. You want a pop band, I'm not going to say that, but I love good pop, like Sigrid, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, yeah. unbelievable. Capaldi has really good pop music, different styles. Yeah. But you've had like indie, but not like, you know, fucking Oasis, like, and the rock bit, but not like, 
moshy that would turn people off, which is probably a bit more like us. But you had that <laughs> perfectly blended with pop sliced right in the middle of this sandwich. And uh, yeah, I, I saw you um, obviously support, was it Eliza and the Bear at the garage? Yeah. And were starting to get these opportunities and stuff. And I did think, um, like, I, I could see it if they kind of take off. So was it, um, was it quite a disappointment or a surprise? Did you think that trajectory was going that way? Um, so with the with the album, just just before my head gets too big and I float off the screen here from all the things you were saying, like with the I don't bullshit with, the man. I would just keep it quiet if I didn't believe those things. You know what uh, I mean? Oh, well, thank you. I honestly do do appreciate it. Um, with the album, the the problem that we had, the main problem that we had was it took us five years to get that out, which is like shocking. Like you That's should be pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Like we should have had two albums in that time, um, or if we hadn't released two, we should have been close to releasing the second. Like maybe every two years, three years. Like so, to release one in five years was very slow. I think we were on the same speed of writing as Pride, <laughs> that same sort of like problem. Um, so I we didn't write fast enough. That was always one of the issues that we had. But we did start to get, around 2016, we started to get some good chances. Like you were saying, like we had the Lies on the Bear show and then Sunset Suns in the main hall at the ABC before it burned down. Um, and I remember being out in Glasgow around that time, like just going to bars and like just socialising, to be honest. It was never with any intent to promote the band, just going out because it was fun and we were like in our mid-20s and it was a good time. And I remember people saying to us like... Um, people that were in the music industry saying to us, like, make sure you capitalise on this time. Like, there's a really good buzz around your band in Glasgow. Like, make sure you guys kind of keep this momentum going and, and like, basically make what you were saying. Like, it was close to spilling over and it never quite did. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was disappointing. Do you know the only disappointment I've ever had with the band was in 2016, the la I think that was the last year that Tea in the Park ran and we didn't get tea break that year and that was a disappointment that's the only disappointment I've got from the time that we did it um, but we knew a couple of people that were on the panel for tea break flies on the wall people in the room and there were si 16 bands played and they said that we came 18th ah. and that was hard that was hard to take so yeah. we weren't quite the we weren't quite the most unlucky band in Scotland. I think that went to November Lights that year, but we were like runners up for the most unlucky band in Scotland. So that that was a sore one, um, and I was a bit disappointed when we found that out. But apart from that, no regrets, and um, I still really enjoy it. Like times like this, talking to yourself or like people that we met and stuff. Like I love the the nostalgia and things, and it's definitely been a huge part of like not. Not just my twenties, but my my whole life. Like the people yeah. I'm still friends with now, like where I would choose to socialise now and stuff. Like it's it's definitely been a, a pretty big influence on a lot of aspects of my life. I probably I would wouldn't have met Lindsay, wouldn't have met my fiance if we hadn't been doing the band, probably might not have my daughter, so I hundred percent man. No regrets about any of it. Would it have been nice to be the next Kings of Leon? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. But it'd be okay. But yeah, no, it was still it was still good fun. I would take it. Would I say yeah. no? No. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> no, hundred percent man. I think oh, you're getting a visitor. Oh, I think, yeah. <laughs> that's magic. 
Um, I think, you know, we've spoke about a lot about that as well with us. Um, this pandemic as well is certainly going to make people more appreciative of yeah. going out and being able to watch the bands that they like. Because let's be honest, I think there was a, myself included, I think everybody is included in this. We're so spoiled for things right on our, our, our doorstep now, you know, in terms of like, oh, there's these new videos, great content from bands, and you just see the preview and then keep scrolling. And, you know, a new album's come out from a band you love, the Cribs new album, you're like, oh, great, you listen to the first two tracks, and then onto a compilation that you've listened to a hundred times, and this band's playing in town, uh, it's a bit rainy out, I'll just give it a miss tonight. You know, but, but this pandemic, surely, like, you know, know. What, what I'm getting at is, even if you guys didn't go full kind of back into it, you just get together for a gig here and there, you know, it could be about quality and us included, you know, rather than having to hammer the tour in and probably just bring up all these great times again, you know. There's been, there has been, since we stopped the band, I don't know if what, like two years, I don't know what, two years ago or something, but since we stopped it, there's been at least 50 occasions where I've been talking to Lindsay or Craig and I've decided that I'm starting a new project. Like, it, it has happened a lot. Like, oh, yeah, let's definitely write some songs. Like, we'll definitely do this. Normally, a couple of beers involved in that uh, decision. And then, like, you just, you, it, it's just hard to to find the time. And, uh, like, I know that's not really an excuse just now with lockdown and everything, but, it yeah. Is, it's weird that people ask, like, what are you up to? And it's, like, everything but nothing, like, yeah. You've got to-do list and you're doing these wee things and things that have never been like, for example, you're putting all your videos on YouTube over the years, you're reformatting them and putting them on Instagram and you're changing your accounts from Big Cartel and this and that because you never had time to do it. There's there's so many little wee life admin things that get done. Um, but you, yeah, you find things to, to do with this exactly, time. Man. You've, um, you've actually reminded me there though, it's saying about new projects. So through lockdown, um, you posted up, and I think there was a couple of beers involved because you were. It was late night, the lights were on, and you were having a giggle. But you and Lindsay did a wee duet, and yeah. I'm really, I'm really um, <clears throat> surprised that you guys haven't done more of that. But I do know, like, it's easy for me to say from this position in the house, you have roles as you know, mum and oh, dad, yeah. and it's busy oh. and it's this, you know. <laughs> We've talked about it a lot. <laughs> like, the she, she, has a, she has a phenomenal voice, man. Like Again, not any... That's an objective opinion of mine. I always say, uh, and obviously there's nuance to both of this, but you can have a technically amazing voice and be a technically brilliant singer, but not a very interesting sound. Or you could have a great sounding voice, but necessarily not a great singer. And what you obviously want is a holy grail like in the middle. And like, I, I don't think I um, have, like, I'm, my range isn't great. I have no training and stuff. You know, Rob's range and Eggy's range, unbelievable. Um, but I've always been a fan of, like, how my voice maybe sounds, you know. But Lindsay's, like, got the range and stuff, but also that grain and texture, like, you know, phenomenal. Oh, like, aside from that, Lindsay plays bass, plays guitar, plays piano, just a an all-round really good musician uh so we've talked about it loads about trying to write stuff in the house and like to be honest it'd probably be i think if me and Lindsay started writing stuff it'd be more up your street like i think it'd be a wee bit heavier like rock because mm -hmm. Lindsay was obviously playing with rising pacific and i think if we were to write stuff together it would spill over to more kind of like all or like rock rather than the pop elements of it um but yeah we've talked about it loads it's just i don't know 
Hopefully, hopefully one day it'll happen. Who knows? You know um, what, man? Like, here's just my two cents. Like, I watch a lot of kind of what is the new way that people are engaging with things, and it isn't releasing singles and EPs and yeah. spending loads of time on original stuff. As much as that's my passion, and that's the only real way I kind of tune into music, but it's people doing vocal covers or little acoustic covers and see on an Insta, see if you two just picked one song, even a month and just yeah. like posted it on your reels or your TikTok stuff. I'm not like, I'm not hip enough to know about these days, but just on an Insta story, honestly, man, it'd be really good for the public um, because yeah. it's, it's a good vocalist, good guitarist, but uh, keep, as keep, as you, keep that muscle flexed. If it's a, uh, if it's on TikTok, as long as I don't need to dance, that's like, that would be the, that would be the cut off. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing, if we're doing the covers or like doing writing originals or whatever, as long as there were no dances involved, I'd maybe be up for it. But as soon as a dance becomes involved, I'd have to I'm I'd have you. to sing out. <laughs> I'm with you there, mate. I can't think of anything yeah. worse. But no, you should do it, man. You should set yourselves a wee a wee challenge. Because it's Ask. fucking class. Give the people what they want, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'd need to uh, try and convince I'd need to try and convince Lindsay to do it, like because we've got the wee one in the house and she gets up at like half six every morning. By the time it gets to like half nine, ten o'clock at night, Lindsay normally just like starts falling asleep in a dressing gown. So like it's I <laughs> need to try and we would we would need to wait till the weekend when we were both knowing we weren't doing something the next day and have a few energy drinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fire <laughs> it. <laughs> nah, you've got to both be up for it, but yeah, that's my two pence, man. Uh I'd like to I'd like to see it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask as well. So obviously that's uh, the kind of the bit that I have knowledge about is uh, us sharing kind of the band thing. But obviously it's not just uh, so, you know, we know you're a teacher, but I remember hearing kind of you've never been like outward about it, which I think is to your credit. But you also do is it do you run the studies or do you speak about the studies linking like issues with mental health, young people in social media? Um, so I studied, so I studied that once. So but yeah, so like my my kind of route into teaching was a strange one. So I studied optometry. Um, so I was an optician and didn't like it at all. Hated it. Um, and then went back and became a teacher. I was like just did the kind of like one year like postgrad sort of thing, and became a science teacher. Um, and then once I was a science teacher. So like taught for a couple of years, worked, like knew that I really liked it, and I was like, all right, okay, well, like, kind of looked at what I was seeing in schools and stuff, and um, there's loads, loads of issues around mental health. I mean, I don't think that'd come as a surprise to anybody, but loads of issues around mental health in schools. Um, so, but I, I just like, I mean, when I started doing it, I was still, I started teaching when I was about twenty four, so I, I kind of maybe had my finger on the pulse a wee bit more with social media than maybe some teachers that had been doing it for a bit longer or were maybe kind of in their 40s, 50s, like just maybe weren't as interested in social media, especially because we'd been doing the band and stuff, like we were using Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and you name it. So um, I just, I, I, I was doing stuff for health and wellbeing with students in third year and one of the things that kept coming up was social media, like bullying and anxiety and their sleep patterns being really damaged because of it and stuff. So I started to try and look into it a bit more, like just off my own back sort of thing, like um, 
is there anything to this? Like, because we're meant to do like kind of professional reading and stuff anyway. So I chose, right, I might as well make it something I'm interested in. And I couldn't find anything on it. Like, on, like there was honestly just like nothing available. Like, um, so yeah, I think because it's because it's still quite new. It's just too new. Yeah, it's just too new for the studies to have been carried out. So I went back to uni and did a master's degree in mental health. Um, and the focus of that was the impact of social media on adolescent mental health. Um, so basically, how much is social media damaging um, young people? Uh, and there's not much research on it there, which I, th I think is amazing. Again, people would probably be quite surprised to hear that, because I think a lot of people in our age bracket and younger we all know that that's there. Like all of us know that social media negatively impacts people's mental health. I think that people do recognize that now, but there's not really any solid studies or data that backs it up. It's just kind of people know it's there, um, but no one's really tried to prove it in a kind of study. Um, so that was that was the whole point in doing that, trying to prove it in a study. And it, 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 I suppose it did, it achieved what I was trying to, I suppose you should never go into something trying, like trying to prove you're right. That's like, because then it's biased, but just objectively like using the the results that were there, um, it, it is harmful to mental health. Like, there's um, no, the yeah, there's no doubt, even just from a, you know, <clears throat> 10,000 foot view looking down, like, I know it's, uh, but yeah, mainly, mainly. If you, were, if you were getting like, I was never like, luckily I was never bullied or anything, but I went to school where there was loads of like chancers, you know, and even if you weren't the one getting bullied, they still get pelters for anything, you know. I, um, I know. Like, if that I, could come home with you, like I, I never even had a mobile phone till like fourth year of that, you know, a hand-me-down from my dad. But yeah. if, if you could just be getting WhatsApp or like tagged in like memes, like we laugh at memes as adults, but if there was a meme that was like, rather than just a nickname going around the classroom, like memes are going around everywhere, tagging you in it and stuff, that must be like, how could you escape it as a young person? It's crazy. Like, I think that the the thing that, um, yes, I kind, I kind of went into it, like into the study sort of thinking that people always talk about body dysmorphia. So like um, the role of Instagram on like how young men and young women perceive their own bodies so like if you're seeing pictures of kim kardashian on instagram every day does that negatively impact your mental health and to be honest it wasn't for body dysmorphia it wasn't nearly as bad as i thought it would be like in scotland i mean it was only in scotland to be fair so i don't know how that would be if you took it worldwide but in scotland most teenagers kind of got the idea that photoshop exists this isn't what these people actually look like they, they kind of understood that the the bigger one was bullying like what you were saying, not being able to get away from stuff. And the other one was sleep patterns, like basically not being able to put your phone down at night, like not being able to to like turn your phone off or put it on silent or whatever, stick a film on and fall asleep or just go to your bed. Like you like you would talk to teenagers and they would be on their phone until two in the morning, literally like not able to sleep and they would like fall asleep holding their phone. Um, so that like the biggest ones were bullying and sleep deprivation or like the impact on their sleep pattern. Um, and it was Snapchat it was mostly felt it was like, I'm not trying, not trying to brand Snapchat the devil, but like, because the messages do disappear and think like you can say something to somebody 
that's not very nice, a particularly nasty thing. And if they don't screenshot that, which a lot of the time people are scared to do because of the consequences, like if they screenshot it, it could amplify the bullying, then um, it disappears. And when they tell somebody, a teacher, a parent, they'll go, all right, well, can I see it? And they'll go, oh, well, I don't have it. And like we understand, like me, me and you, and a lot of people kind of in our age group, we understand. Oh well, it's disappeared. It's Snapchat. We get how that whole thing works. We've probably used it ourselves. But if you're telling that to somebody who's fifty-seven, they might not understand. They might be like, "What do you mean it disappeared? Well, where's it mm-hmm. gone?" Like I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that <laughs> firsthand. Where like you're talking to someone, like an adult, and they're going, "Well, an adult, <laughs> but like an older adult," and they're saying, um, I don't understand what you mean it's gone. And they're like, well, they don't understand the technology enough to associate with the problem. Um, mate, mate, I can agree with Like, I've never been on Snapchat. It's just like one of these things like, you know, I was I was around at MySpace and then jumped on the Bebo bus and I kind of oh, okay. stopped at Instagram. Like Twitter, Man. nah, Twitter never got on it, Snapchat. So even me, when you're telling me they're like snapshotting it, uh, screenshotting it, like, with amplify things like, like I don't even understand that. So I, it's not easy to see. Sorry, it's easy to see why older generations yeah, don't just, kind of make these correlations. Uh, this is like your. This would be like your sixty-year-old or fi- like fifty-seven-year-old aunt who posts like who posts on Facebook answering all our personal security questions. Like like <laughs> like when yeah. you like when you see your aunt answer. It's like twenty questions about me, the street I grew up in, my pet's first name. You're like. Ah. <laughs> Stop it, they take all your security questions off Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Grant, get your security details down. <laughs> oh, my mother's maiden name. Well, it was Belle, and that's a lovely name as well. Yeah. What four numbers are significant to me? Oh, let me think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. No, it's trying, trying to explain to someone that puts those quizzes on Facebook for everybody to see, trying to explain to them the concept of snapchat and screenshots and bullying and cyber bullying they're just like that what what's a cyber bully is that a robot a robot is bullying you i know so it's easy to like point the finger at like head teachers and head mistresses and stuff but like yeah there needs to be like standardized i guess information and education on whatever's happening and they need to be quicker because these things change all the time like again i've never been on tiktok you know i just know things go viral but there could be a function there that like is allowing the abuse of, of bullying and things like that. Uh, you know, setting dance challenges people just can't do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the solution to it is um, would surround like making social media more um, like certified, like making it more, I don't know if official would be the right word, but basically like right now all you need to open an Instagram account or a Facebook account or TikTok or whatever, like, you just need an email address and all you need to open an email address is five minutes. Mm-hmm. So like you can make a fake account like that. Um, whereas I think that either in, in law in Scotland, I don't know how they would put that into practice. It's either in law in Scotland or putting it back on the social media companies like Facebook, you would have to make sure that people are who they're saying they are. So like um, if somebody wants to open a Facebook account, just say to them, right, that's fine, you can open your Facebook account, can you send us a picture of your driver's license? Or can you send us a picture of your passport? And I know there are issues sur- surrounding like GDPR and stuff there, but if you if that was the case, it would, it would make it harder for people to open these accounts. They would also know that you are who you're saying you are, 
so it would make it less likely that you could troll someone or bully someone. Like if you knew that what you were going to say on Facebook was a, you were accountable for it, yeah. you would think about what you were saying on Facebook. Now, I know a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't as well. No, 100%. I think what you're saying there, some people listening may go like, what? So I'd give Facebook that? Yeah, but no one's saying you need to sign up to this. Huh. And if you're going to, like, we're not just talking about like trolls here, like my example of calling people names in the classroom. Like, yeah. People are people are hanging themselves because of yeah. stuff that's. I've known I've known people. Things have happened that have caused the uh, the, the the trolls, if you like, or the public pressure, the the witch hunts, you know, in a couple of cases. But it would never have spiraled into someone taking their own life had that not been an echo chamber, an amplification on that online, you know. A fairly base, like basic philosophy, so like the the way that I'll teach my own wee girl. Because I'm assuming social media is not going anywhere. So the, the way that I'll teach her to interact with social media is if you wouldn't say it to someone in person, you shouldn't <laughs> be putting it on social media. Like if you were talking to somebody face to face and you wouldn't say that to them face to face, then you definitely shouldn't be posting it about them or to them on social media. So like I would hope that that if I'm raising her the right way, she would understand that that means don't post, don't troll people, don't bully people. Um, but yeah, I think if people were more accountable for what they were saying online, that's just got really serious. Sorry, right, though. <laughs> if people were more accountable <laughs> for what they were saying online, they'd be less likely to say it. Um, because the truth is, if you walked up to somebody in the street, me or you or anybody walked up to a stranger in the street or like walked up to like you saw that that all that stuff that happened outside Ibrooks with Scott Brown, where the the Rangers fan made a comment to him when he was leaving Ibrooks about his sister who had died, yeah. and like he rightfully that fan was barred from football games and charged by the police. If he had said that on social media, he probably would just have got away with it. Nothing, but, yeah. Yeah, like if he had put if he had created a troll account and just tweeted it at Scott Brown, like he would have got away with doing that, which is completely wrong. Whereas he's done it in person, the police were there, he's been caught. But the people that are doing these sorts of things online, it's too I mean the thing is the police don't have the resources to chase down every nasty comment on social media. But another kind of <clears throat> counterpoint as well is that now I've never I've never been someone to like troll people or say things like that but You're even was trolling me <laughs> it's that we uh, face that we meme grin face yeah that's my picture uh, but no i've never like gone as far as that so i don't want to give people like make excuses for people that do shit that they know you shouldn't do but even just looking for a random reason i was trying to find some old pictures i was scrolling like way way back on my facebook the other day there right and i've not done that like i don't think i've ever done that and there's bits where i'm having like arguments online and stuff like uh, listen if you need to, it's a pointless task anyway but you know if you go do it it's something you're passionate about but i'm talking about like irrelevant shit and like me and the other people are like all caps locks back to each other now i wouldn't i was cringing now but there's probably stuff in 10 years i'll cringe at now so i think also it's like uncharted territory people are like 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 you're saying the the context of what i was saying to people i would say I would never be like shouting at them like that caps lock <laughs> signifies, you know. What you're saying is completely right as well. That like we, uh, like our age group, are the first. Well, maybe not truly social media generation, but like my 
my first social media accounts, I was about 15, sort of like Bebo and things like that, MySpace, Bebo. My first Facebook account, I think I was about 17 or 18. So like maybe we're not truly a social media generation, but we're close to it. And we, yeah, so like we, when I look at the stuff like the, that I posted when I was 17, I'm like, oh man, that is really cringy. Totally, like, man. Really embarrassing. Um, so yeah, I, I, there is a point and people do have to be given, like there has to be a statute of limitation. Like if you've said something, like when you see people that said something 10 years ago and then it, it resurfaces now and then they have to come out and apologize for it and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. That's, if you still hold those views, fair enough, you should apologise for them. But, like, there has to be a point where you go, like, this person's maybe grown up a wee bit, like... I agree. The whole cancel culture, like, again, like we were saying with everything, there is no one answer. But it also can't be one answer, like, you know, if someone said something and has educated themselves, has opened their mind up to things, you know, uh, is re is remorseful for the things that they, the views they used to hold. E and even more so if it was just flippantly, they're like, look, I didn't realise the weight that that carried. You can't just ruin someone's life for that. But like, also, if they're still the same person, if they don't, then aye, fuck them. Like, when, when I was, when I was really young, like, really young, like, primary school age, people regularly, myself included, would have, like, if something wasn't cool, or you didn't want to do something, you would refer to it as being gay. Oh and, my God, I can't use this now. <laughs> yeah, but like people, like people, yeah, like so can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody pulling me up now at thirty-two, going, yeah. "I mean, when you were eight years old, I did hear you saying that something was gay when you thought it was uncool." I'd be like, "Well, yeah, that is completely wrong. It's homophobic. It's completely wrong." And I'm sorry that 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 happened, but I was eight. <laughs> like, about my, my that, man, like you talk about like holding people accountable and stuff like you know our dad's just like my dad's no longer here or I maybe would have these conversations because now I'm surrounded by and in circles and working towards like trying to eradicate stuff like that because yeah. of what I'm interested and passionate about and the people I've met through like football and charity work and stuff who are amazing people but coming from smaller towns and that like generation like my granny would say that thing. My dad would say things. And now I've seen them with people of color or gay people in our family or whatever. They had no, and have, my granny's still with us, have no hatred towards these people. But the language that's used yeah. was so flippant that it was okay. And I'm, that, I'm sure that happens worldwide. I'm sure people like say things about like white people. And people say definitely say things about, in this country, black people and brown people and homosexual people. It doesn't make it right um, at all, but again, it's just like different times. And you know, I've, I I was around that. I never once said, "Here, you shouldn't say that." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's it. You would, you would, like you would now. You would now, of course. But that's now that, like, uh, now that we've kind of grown up, matured. You know that it's wrong. Like you have a better understanding of the suffering that it can cause for other people. But when, but when I was even like I'm saying when I was eight, even when I was like 15, 16, 17, I was nowhere near as mature or aware of like other culture. Like you, I mean, I, yeah. I like of I'd course. never been out and seen the world, and like you, you like you do learn more about. I taught, like, I think that makes it more powerful, man. Like you, you're from a small place. I'm from Perth. Obviously, it's a city, but it's a small place your eyes just aren't open you know it wasn't until i started coming to glasgow and i'm not trying to like at like fuck's sake man i'm trying to work on myself every single day 
I've definitely over the last few years and a lot of it inspired by my wife because she got us involved in things like she works within community you know and then through the football clubs that I joined and the, the things that I'm doing now with Glasgow Saints you know that this city has shaped me and it's it's yeah. made me realize like your own personal life is not the most important thing it's very important yeah but you're part of a massive like everybody needs help and everyone needs to feel welcome and like actually looking at views you know of course like i'm not going to sit here and say i've never said questionable things when i was younger because yeah. you're just around the pack mentality i've never been a bully i've never been a racist you know ever yeah. these things but flippant language of course yeah. But again, I would never say that now. You've grown, you've changed, and you realise the weight of that, and you can try and help other people realise that. Yeah. That's the main thing. It's not about like lambasting the fucking stupid teenager. That's you know? Exactly. Like when I, yeah, exactly. Like when I when I'm saying about challenging people for challenging bullies or trolls, I mean people that are doing it now. I don't mean someone that did someone that said something ten years ago and they realise that it's wrong. And it just so happens that they didn't delete it from social media because, like you said, you don't go back and check that often. But, like, I don't mean pulling people up for stuff that they said 10 years ago. If they do understand that it was wrong, I'm, I'm more meaning people that are saying stuff now. <laughs> like, guys that, guys that are the yeah. same age as me and you that are still on Twitter harassing footballers. And I'm like, that guys, come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Almost, I mean, I think the power of unfollow and unblock is massive though, isn't it? And I think like back in, you know, again, we're all learning social media. I would try and everybody I, I thought was like saying something wrong and try and like give them an education. You realize they're saying that, they're loving that. They're like, oh yes, like I'm going to troll some more. Actually, the best thing to do is go, you're getting blocked, mate. And then like they're not involved in it. That takes away the power. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think I think we're on the same page with that. I did want to hit um, before we finish off because um, I think we're all... So we recently, um, a couple of the guys from the football team set up a, a group uh, called Not Alone, didn't they? Yeah. And it's been really good. And I think everyone in there um, has been really open about, you know, facing different kinds of challenges, um, whether lockdown has been the cause of those or it's just amplified them. Obviously men and women are all going through I think everyone in the world has uh, bits of depression and that in their life of course they do but it can be amplified by different things um, but you've been a really really good voice in that group and I just wondered like fuck's sake it's putting you on the spot but no one's gonna have answers and stuff but with your background and like looking into that for teenagers and stuff like do you have any theories on because really it is alarming like every week you know, touch wood, it's not been anyone I've known personally. And I don't say that in a congratulatory way because obviously someone yeah. knows them and that's terrible. I'm just feeling very lucky that it's not someone I've known. Um, but it seems to be happening to people in my network that they're losing people all the time. And at the moment, that seems to be a lot of young males. Like, what, what do you think it is? And how do you think we get around it? I'm not expecting you to have the answers, but what's your, what's your take on it? I think that with, so I think that with any man under the age of, well, maybe not, maybe not any man under the age of 40. Now, maybe guys between, I'd say, probably about 10 years old up to about 40. So that kind of 30, 30 year window between 10 year olds and 40 year old men. Um, because probably kids that are younger than that, their parents are now the men that are in that category for the most part. 
Um, so I think that one of the big things has been what, almost what we were talking about kind of 10 minutes ago, where we were raised by two generations of men, our grandfathers and then our dads, our grandpas and our dads, where the language that they would have used and their lifestyle was quite different to what the lifestyle of guys under 40 is now. So like my grandpa and my dad, um, like both straight white men and wrongly being a straight white man was like a, a free pass at life, like, which obviously is completely, completely wrong. Nobody would dispute that. But it meant that you left school when you were like 17 or 18 and your dad got you a job in a bank or something. And just by being a straight white guy, you just got the job and you just flew into your career. And there was no there was no real competition for the jobs because women were expected to stay at home with kids. Um, people who had emigrated to the country, sort of black, Asian, were treated as second class citizens. People who were gay were treated as second class citizens. So yeah just being like a straight white man meant that you had this huge advantage in life and that's the guys that we were raised by then you fast forward to our generation and rightfully cannot emphasize that enough rightfully that's completely changed and and women are being treated a lot more fairly in the workplace and um, there are much more much more laws like much more legislation surrounding um discrimination so people who have immigrated to this country people from ethnic minorities people who are lgbt like these people are treated more fairly in the workplace and that creates more competition for jobs but our if you look at people like me and you um kind of straight white guys our our grandpas and our dads and stuff they would still kind of look at and our even to an extent our mums and things would look at our generation of like why aren't they doing like better than they are like why are they not progressing as fast as their dad did or their their papa did or whatever and it's because obviously there's more competition for the jobs and then also the fact that financially um our generation are living like in the hardest economic times since the 1920s and 30s so like um, the 2008 credit crash and then obviously this pandemic there's there are less jobs and the jobs that are going you're expected to do more for less money so and and the and on top of that the housing market's completely changed like i think that back in the 80s and 90s the average house price was three times your salary whereas now it's eight times your salary mm -hmm. so like you're like people like <laughs> mom and dad or like your mum and dad would have left school, got a job and moved into a family house. And like, it was all just, I'm not saying it was easy, but it was easier than it is now. Um, and I think that for young men, the problem is a lot of those pressures are coming down generationally and landing on our shoulders. There's a lot of expectation on us that we just, through no fault of our own, we're not able to meet. Um, and that is that is a lot of that is a heavy burden for for anyone because you like to, to feel as if you're not doing as well as people think you should. I think a lot of young men feel that way. Um, I think a lot of kind of guys in their 20s and 30s just now feel as if they're not doing as well as people think they should, like financially and their job and their career. The, the thing is, um, if you're lucky if you're one of the lucky guys like me or you, you kind of 
realise hopefully that someone's worth isn't their property or their their bank account. Like I I I would always just take anybody, male, female, white, black, <laughs> gay, straight. Like I, I would just always take somebody at face value, treat them exactly the same way. Like um, but you do still get people in society, unfortunately, that judge people on where they live, how much money they have, what car they drive, and stuff. And I think that a lot of young guys feel that pre like the, the pressure of I'm meant to be the man of my house, I'm meant to be earning this big income and paying all the bills. But then there's also the new male role of you need to be super husband and help with the cleaning and help with the kids and help with the washing. And I think that guys our age just don't really we've not really found what our role in society is. And it's not our it's, I, I don't think it's our fault. I think that the I think that the role of men in society has changed faster than men have been able to adapt it. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a real good because <clears throat> as much as uh, I always feel like within my groups, I mean, other people might not share this opinion or that, but I always try to be like a leader, like a protector in terms of like, I've, you know, fronted the band, I've made the football team like around my friends, I'm like the vocal one. I'm actually quite uh, an anxious person, but like, people maybe wouldn't think that because my way is like, right, be right out there. And then that gives me a bit of space behind, you know, inside. <laughs> but even me, like, trying to always, like, pick other people up and stuff like that, recently I've definitely felt the weight of it. And I've always, like me and you have spoke about, I'd never put, pre I'd never rate people because of their material possessions. What do they bring? What do they do? What do they help with, you know? But even then, you know, you're looking at, you're like, even if you can't help it in this climate, especially right now, amplified by COVID, you know, I, I can't work just now. And then you go and apply for jobs and you're like, you can see on LinkedIn, you're like, there are 500 people going for this job. And you're like, Jesus yeah. Christ, my friend just got a job at Tesco. He said there was 200 applicants for like a three, three shifts of four hours packing shelves. So do you think that's what it is do you think i mean obviously i'm lucky to have great friends to have a wife to have a house she's able to work um and you know i'm so proud of her for the work she does if i've got all this and i'm worrying about it it's very hard for me to imagine the single guy in his house or he maybe does have kids and a, and a partner and he was the major breadwinner and now he just cannot he's maybe not got furlough he just cannot earn do you think it's that pressure is just even though we know, look, man, money is not everything. Even though we tell ourselves that, do you think just that external weight because it's all we're fed is just too much? I think it's a huge part of it. Like the 2008 credit, like credit crash, recession, the property market collapsing and stuff like that was when guys the age that me and you are were just finishing school. So we were just like finished school, coming out into the working world, boom, recession. <laughs> and then like, we just start to get back on our feet again, worldwide pandemic, economy completely shuts down, and we'll be, we'll be feeling the effects of this for oh, yeah, years yeah. to come as well. I think that that, coupled with men not really knowing what their role in society is at the moment, like, are you still meant to be the breadwinner, or are you meant to be at home with the wife and kids? And I, actually, I think that we are, like, although I, I think a lot of men struggle with their identity, in that sense, like I'm, I'm, ha I'm, I'm very much happy to be at home with Eden, like helping around the house and everything, like very much a partnership. But I think that 
that like that's fine for me and I'm happy doing that in myself. But then if you look at like maybe some of the older generations, it's not all it's not all of them. Like my I'm really lucky. Like my parents are really supportive. Um but I think that like you could see older generations going like, what's he doing at home playing with the kid like playing at the kid like playing with mm. the kid. Should he should he not be out working or like what what's he doing? Like that's like that's women's work, like the kind of outdated mentality. So you've got that pressure coming down on you. I, 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 like also the fact that it is so much harder to earn just now for all the reasons that we've spoken about and I think that a lot of the time that just gets on top of young guys like like you said imagine you imagine you um had two kids and a mortgage or rent to pay and you'd lost your job and you couldn't work and then on top of that you you didn't have a like if that was me my mum and dad would be saying to me like look it's okay like things will things will be all right don't get but like imagine on top of that if you did have a dad or a grandpa that was going like oh you're meant to look after your family like that that's too hard like nobody should go through that like yeah. that, at, at this point more than ever yeah anyone i mean you know who who knows if anyone will listen to this not because of you because of me <laughs> but you know if, if anyone is listening to this you know this is the period where even though it's been hard already in the years that you've said, but this is, it's not your fault. Like the whole world is on ice. If you, if your job cannot be done just now, you're not failing because you can't get another job. And of course this sounds like I'm just buffing myself up, but like I've got all the, I've got all these things around me that I'm thinking about people who are in my position who maybe don't. And they're, you know, maybe not able to vocalize this. I've like that group we're talking about. I obviously posted loads of people are posting and you get great support and you've got support around you. There'll be people out there that don't have it. And obviously that's why this is happening with people taking their lives. And they need to know that like just surviving right now is a win. Like just yeah, keep going, I mean, you know? I, I, like I'm I'm not I'm not for a second trying to like I would never ever ever try and belittle suicide or anyone that gets suicidal thoughts or gets to that point in their life. Like I completely understand what would put people in that place but I, I remember and I don't actually even know who the quote was from I just remember hearing a quote years ago that suicide is a permanent solution to temporary problems yeah like, it, it's so true like if For people, sure if people do feel suicidal there's always like even if you don't feel like there is at that point which obviously you wouldn't there there is always stuff that you can start to rebuild like you can all like it like i know that people would go well it's it's easy to say that what if you're about to lose your house or like the the only thing i would say to any anyone that was in that position is if you do have kids or or a partner or family and stuff and you were thinking, oh well, I'm about to lose the house. I'm I'm useless. I'm not helping my family and stuff. Your family would definitely still rather have you there. Like, your, man. Your, yeah. kids, your kids would rather grow up with a dad without a house than not grow up with a dad. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And even like more, I mean, no apologies for like trying to make things sound romantic, but it's true. Think about like the holiday you go on, those camping trips you've had with your friends, those nights when you just laugh like all night, you know, like going and seeing a band, going and seeing a new city, like literally a sunrise, a sunset, like eating a great meal, just hanging with your mates, walking my dog, going into the forest and just feeling like, oh, you can breathe. Think about all these things and you're probably in a quarter of your life. Like they'll come back again. Yeah, this is just, this is just some a muddy patch well, of the road, you know. 
they'll definitely come they'll definitely come back exactly um like you'll if, if you feel like you don't have friends at that point you'll end up with like you'll meet friends you'll make friends like if you are worried about where you're going to live like you'll get back on your feet like all these sorts of things like i know it's, it's like you said it's like cliches are like romanticizing the idea but it's true like it's true things, and i think it's important to say it just now yeah yeah and and i think the good thing about all of this is because there's certainly like we need to look at the positives where there is some I really do, you know, sometimes you can look and go, oh, is this gimmicky? But, but who cares? Like, mm. I, people are people are making movements to start up groups and start up walking groups. And sometimes you're not saying anything and you might duck out, duck, <laughs> duck out, <laughs> duck out the group for a, a couple of weeks. And, yeah. you know, but, but when you are in it, like, people are making the effort to, like, normalize talking about it and to say, like, mate, I'm here. Like, literally, if you need to just, like, fucking say, if you need to, if you have a wobble and you just want a message, like, there's people who actually care, man. You know. Definitely, one hundred percent. There's like, I, I think people would be surprised um, how many. I mean, I suppose it. It's, I suppose it depends on finding the right people. But like what you were saying about the football team at Saints and stuff that you've been working on and that you've started and things like, I, I'm, I'm sure that if you reached out to any of those guys that you've not known for like a long period of time, they would want to help you. And like, there are guys that I've not known for huge periods of time. And if they felt that I was the only person they could talk to in that moment, I'd be saying to them like, cut, like come round, grab a wee cup, like get a sandwich, man. Like let's stick the football on. Like let's talk through this. Let's relax. There's a bedroom there if you need it. Like. I would I would hate to ever think that somebody that I knew closely or just an associate like a just somebody that I kind of knew a wee bit I would, I'd hate the idea that they felt that there was absolutely nobody they could speak to like I'd rather they spoke to me than just bottled it up sort of thing like um, and I know that it's maybe a bit cheesy but it's it it's absolutely the truth like nah, I think I think you're right man I think uh, that's yeah, right, definitely man. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a good thing. People just need to, I guess, hold on. But like you said, it's not a, not try to trivialise how easy that is for people yeah. to do it. But I think, you know, we're talking about the elves of society with the, the trolling and social media. I think we are, like, seeing a positive, positive shift towards, you know, There's people a- realising that it's okay to, to reach out and people being good at helping others when they do reach out. Yeah, There's a, I think we're really lucky. I mean, like, I know maybe not everybody would agree but i think we're lucky being in scotland in that sense like not and not necessarily like it's not not trying to like i know that me and you are both snp supporters but maybe other people that hear this or see it won't be and it's not trying to politicize it like i think that just culturally in scotland we are quite good at helping other people maybe like maybe people would disagree with that but i think that compared to some other places scotland is a a welcoming place and and also like looking out for people like I, I think in Scotland there's a good social awareness of trying to look after people in society that do need help that maybe doesn't exist in other parts of the UK like um as a society I think Scotland's more in tune with that than than some other places so we're lucky we're lucky in that sense and like you said there's a lot, so. lot of really good people out there like <laughs> It's not all negatives. <laughs> For sure. And I don't think that anyone listening to that who finds that a wee bit controversial, I don't think that's anything to do with Scotland inherently being better because I listened to this um, audio book by a guy, Chris Ryan, called Civilised to Death. And it just looked at studies and it wasn't saying that, like, 
rich people or bigger communities where there is more wealth, bigger cities and stuff are like mean. But if they can't, um, long and short of it is, if they can't really relate from first-hand experience to like issues, they, it's like it's not on the register. It's like you're speaking yeah. a different language. So they just like, you know, look at some poverty and kind of smile and walk on by or uh, look at this this shit that's happening with these food bags and why wouldn't they 30 pounds have got to make prop you know but if it's yeah, scotland's well, got a lot more poorer communities same in the north of england and stuff like that so if you've not got much you grow up knowing what that feels like and when people need help you're like well i fucking i've felt that way that i'm gonna help that person you know yeah, they, oh, completely agree. Like, yeah, they, just the example that you mentioned there, again, like try, trying to keep it away from politics, but um, like the, the example you said there about the, the food parcels and things, like, and I, I obviously, like everyone else, I saw that on social media and the people saying, like, oh, well, I mean, they've got to make a profit. What about the admin costs and the shipping costs and stuff? And I was like, how can you, how can you be saying that a company needs to make a profit? ahead of somebody being able to eat <laughs> like, like there shouldn't be any there should be zero profit if it's going to get in the way with somebody having food <laughs> like, i saw somebody post yesterday what like so what do you think the state's just there to bail people out and i almost like you know choked on my coffee i was like that's exactly what the state's there for <laughs> we fund the state you know if you look way back to medieval we pay the taxes we do everything literally so that we're protected like whether yeah. that's an army the walls of a city when there's a, a famine like the grain is given to the you know and then obviously richer and richer people have started to like take the piss with that yeah. and they went to wars and they raised taxes and stuff we've got so far away from hunter-gatherer people coming together for the protection of society placing our ancient greece as well placing our democracy and shared um, role of voting for who we think's best for the community to be protected. It's whole, not to make a profit of the people the whole, in power. It's great. Like the whole the whole purpose of the the kind of state in the sense that we know people use welfare state as like a derogatory term now. Like oh, the welfare state. It's like it's not a derogatory term. Like the purpose of the welfare state when it was developed in the fifties post World War Two was to make sure that people were looked after. Like the totally. whole. The whole point is exactly what you're saying. Like, should the state look after people? Yes. The difficulty that people have is you shouldn't you shouldn't be going out looking for the state to look after you. Like, if you're a, if you're in the position that I'm in, where you're able to work and you're healthy and you're able to go out to your job and stuff, then then you should do that. Like, you should be trying to do that. But if you're ever in a position where through no fault of your own you can't do that, absolutely the state should be there. That's what it's there for. 100%. And like, like anything, like when you get these lazy people talking about asylum seekers because they were unfortunate enough to be born into this crazy, like, atmosphere and, like, universe on that exact incarnation into a place where bombs were dropping, they shouldn't get anything because they're coming over here. Mate... Of course they should. We're a, we're a world. We're trying to help everybody here. Like, there is so much. We have actually been brainwashed to the point where we'd rather famine mentality. We'd rather, like, look and sneer. And us, not us, but I say we, you know, a sneer at people that are getting something for nothing rather that we don't need, that's not coming off our plates, rather than looking at the people at the top who have so, so much and not being annoyed at them. The, the, we, the, the minority are actually the ones that do that. The majority, because they're voting the Tories in, 
actually look down at the poor people and say they shouldn't get that, but are happy for the rich to be rich. The crazy thing is, if there was if there was a situation in Scotland or Britain where a, like there was a war or a tragedy or something like we would all of us would be absolutely outraged if they wouldn't let us into France or Germany or Spain like if it, if it wasn't safe to be here like if it literally like I'm sitting in Stirling just now if it physically was not safe to be in Stirling there were bombs going off people running about with rifles and things like if it wasn't safe and I decided to flee Stirling with my family and I got down to like the English Channel and they wouldn't let me into France I'd be the first guy that was outraged going I'm trying to keep my family safe and all of us would be like that but then when it's someone coming from Syria or Palestine or something like we are like all of us are going oh well like that like what they they should really stay and defend their home and uh, can you imagine you're not going to stay and defend your home if you're if you're a wee guy in Syria who's a teacher and has a three-year-old you're not going to stay and fight ISIS you're going to run away (laughs) like and can you imagine the the media saying oh he said he was coming over here but look he's got an iPhone that was the exact shit they were like printing it's like yeah it's not a caveman coming here to steal your benefits (laughs) I he he had a man. I know people personally, personally who have come from Syria, come from loads of places. Parents were doctors, had a really big house with a swimming pool, everything. They didn't want to come to Glasgow and live in a flat and fucking you know the gorbals, mate. Like I'm sorry, they had it better, but unfortunately that was stripped away from them with no fault of their own. You know, so I know it's it's this weird misconception that everyone coming here is trying to come here because they desperately want to be here to live the, the Scottish dream or the British dream. And it's like, a lot of the time, it's it's just to do with physically being safe. Like Most of the time. Of course, yeah. like that that literally is. It's called like famine, um, fa- famine fa- fear of famine or something like that. Um, and it is de- it's just because we think there's not enough resources, so other people are going to steal from us. But there is enough resources. Yeah. It's just been hoarded by the fucking elite especially, especially in scotland we're never we're never running up uh, running out of water up here <laughs> as, exactly, we man. A, as we sit in a nice scottish night with the the sleep falling from the sky like i think within like 20 miles of my house there's like three reservoirs or something that we're not yeah. we're not running out of water <laughs> like yeah that's why we need this uh independence mate we could even like new zealand we've got it all up here like anyway, we'll save that I know you're vegan, but if you ever decided you were going to eat meat, we've got plenty of venison as well since we killed all the wolves. So that's oh, actually so so relevant to speaking to you. With we came from wolves, like we we've killed all the wolves, so now we've got too many deer. So at least we could eat venison. <laughs> Mate, I'm a, I'm a I'm a vegan for ethical reasons. You know, if I, if we needed to survive and I wasn't, uh, you know, putting an animal in a cage and subjecting it to all that, you know, of course, people who actually hunt and live organically, I don't have an issue with, you know, yeah. but we just, I don't need to do that, so. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. no, for sure, man, for sure. We have Holland and Barrett being there and. <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. Just got this, uh, just got this corn spam, you know what I mean? Like, who needs it? <laughs> our freezers, our freezers, I, I don't think we could fit any more corn in our freezer because Lindsay's, uh, well, Lindsay's vegetarian, but verging on vegan. I think her only vices are cheese she really struggles to give up cheese and the occasional chocolate but she doesn't drink doesn't drink milk and 
doesn't eat any meat and things, just cheese and cheese and chocolate. Um, but apart from that, she's on a vegan diet. So like, I'm like in the supermarket like that with the fine print on the corn, making sure it's vegan corn. Because apparently some corn's not even vegan. I didn't even. Oh know. yeah, man, it's got egg in it. Just yeah. tell her on the chocolate front. Get on the Vigo bars. Sell them in Holland and buy it. Absolutely next level. Um, but yeah, we've been chatting for an hour 22 here, and this is called the Ammo Hour, so I better wrap this up. <laughs> You're going to have to edit it. Yeah. I know, we'll need to have a, I'm not editing it, it's been nice, uh, but we'll definitely have a part two. But there is something that I want to uh, ask, um, kind of, I think it's a, a cool thing to hear from every guest that's on. Uh, if you could tell, now I don't know if you want to fr- like frame this, if it was to, you could be exactly where you want to be, so maybe nothing, um, or maybe it would be the music, I don't know, but if you could tell your younger self something now to kind of retrace steps, not regrets or anything, but if you could give them a wee heads up on anything, is there anything that would spring to mind? Oh, man, that, these questions are so tricky because I, I'm like a kind of... I'm like a kind of butterfly effect guy. Like, yeah. If I changed, if I if I did give my younger self advice, what if I woke up and my daughter wasn't there? Like, yeah. like let's just say, let's just say everything can be yeah. exactly the same that you want it to be. Okay. But if you could change something else, if things, yeah, if I could keep things the same as they are now, um, what advice would I give my younger self? I. I think I would tell myself when I was like 17 to drive more carefully. And I think I would uh, tell myself to invest in Facebook. <laughs> like, go back and be like that, Dad, I know I'm I know I'm 12 years old, but you need to invest in this company, Facebook. Like, I'm 12 years old, I don't have any money, but please, can you invest money in Facebook? Like, I promise it's going to be okay. Be like, how do you know that, son? I'd be like, Dad, just honest. I've been talking to Kyle on Skype. In the future. future. (laughs) Pandemic. He'd be like, what's Skype? I'd be like, it doesn't exist yet. Invest in that too. Who's Kyle? I don't know yet, but just trust me. I'd just invest in social media as much as it damages us all just invest in skype twitter facebook snapchat see anything social media just invest in it <laughs> and <laughs> so, i will troll everyone fucking hell well dave zuckerberg it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> listen brother i'm gonna wrap up there and yeah. Uh, yeah we'll definitely need to have a, a part two but uh thanks so much for uh, all your chat man loved it cheers for having me on right brother take it easy mate see you soon bye yeah, we're talking about it.